Welcome to a learntolearn.org podcast. We are here to support your learning, taking off the limits that we have accrued to our learning and adding in those ingredients that we've learned from world-class learners that have made them the best so that we can each update our own programming and become the best learners that we can be. We're really glad that you're here to share some time with us. We hope that this brings you exactly what you need today to better engage in your life and your learning. Today we delve into part two of how to think clearly and how that leads to happiness. So we want to put that together for you today. And as we promised, today we're going to start with the Socratic method and how Socrates impacted all of Western culture by developing methods to be able to think clearly, to be able to think critically, to be able to think deeply. If it had this much impact on all of Western culture, take a minute and just think about how much impact could that have for you and your life. So let us lay it out for you, you know, what he did, and then we'll go into some of how he did that, how that method of questioning that he developed worked. So let's start with a brief history of Socrates and, and what he did and and the part that it's played. Now, when we talk about history, some people right away are going to go, oh my gosh, history, we don't need this. Well, I think you'll find it pretty interesting, and it will be somewhat brief. We're not going to do a history lesson here. We just want to do an overview that will give you some sense of the really broad impact that thinking clearly has. We've said before that a huge portion of our lives going well, us making good decisions, us engaging in our interactions in life in a way that leads to the results that we want, whether it's learning, whether it's at work, or in some other area of our lives, that this really can make such a difference. As we said, Socrates' impact on Western society is really far-reaching, multifaceted, and encompasses fields as diverse as philosophy, education, ethics, politics, social justice. Here are some details on how that has played out in Western thought and Western culture. Socrates' method of questioning and inquiry has become really a cornerstone of Western education and intellectual discourse. But it goes far further than that. The method involves asking a series of questions to uncover the underlying assumptions, the values, the beliefs that inform an individual or a group's thinking. By encouraging this kind of critical thinking and reflection, This Socratic method helps individuals to develop a more nuanced, more sophisticated understanding of complex issues. This method has been used in fields ranging from law to politics to science to medicine, and it remains a really important tool 
for fostering intellectual growth, for fostering discovery. Socrates himself was primarily concerned with ethical questions, and his focus on morality and virtue has had a really profound impact on Western thought. Socrates believed that the pursuit of wisdom and self-knowledge was really key to living a really great life. And he emphasized the importance of ethical behavior and civic responsibility. He went far beyond this, but we're going to start there. His ideas about justice, fairness, individual rights continue to shape our understanding of ethics and social justice today. His ethical inquiry has been particularly influential in fields like philosophy, theology, law, political theory. He also had tremendous impact on Plato. He was Plato's teacher, and Plato was one of the most important philosophers in Western history. Plato's dialogues, which often feature Socrates as a, cent- a central figure, explore a wide range of philosophical questions that have lasted in their impact on Western philosophy. Again, when we talk about philosophical questions, you know, penetrate through that, listen through that. This comes down to questions as basic as what is reality? And we'll take some time to play some of that out when we get to how did he go about asking questions. Plato's ideas about the nature of reality and what is the ideal society and what is the role of a person in that society have been really influential. Plato's concepts of the forms or ideas, for instance, which he developed based on Socrates' insights, have had a really profound impact on Western understanding of life and how to engage in life. Socrates, at one point, was challenged. Well, he was challenging the underlying precepts of his society at the time, and he was brought up on trial, and he refused to compromise his principles and beliefs, even when threatened with death, and was made to drink hemlock and died of that back in 399 B.C., And this, in some ways, was like a defining moment in Western history and has inspired generations of thinkers and activists who have fought for justice and freedom. Socrates' commitment to truth and his willingness to die for his beliefs had made him an enduring symbol of resistance against oppression and tyranny. Much of what we see today in terms of seeking social justice and improving society have their ultimate roots in what Socrates did. Socrates' questioning and skepticism, as we said, have had a profound impact. His emphasis on questioning assumptions and seeking truth through critical inquiry have influenced many thinkers, from ancient Greeks to modern day. Socrates' legacy of skepticism and critical inquiry continues to be really important in what we do today. We've emphasized that over and over. The scientific method, for instance, can be seen as a modern embodiment of Socrates' commitment to empirical observation, hypotheses, testing, and rigorous inquiry. We'll see his influence 
play out in classrooms. Teachers and professors can use the Socratic method for fostering discussion and critical thinking by asking open-ended questions and encouraging their students to speak their views, their beliefs. We'll sometimes see lawyers and judges use the Socratic method to elicit key facts and arguments from witnesses and experts by asking questions that challenge assumptions and clarify points of contention Legal professionals can uncover important information and build strong cases. It can be particularly useful when lawyers are seeking to undermine opposing arguments and to establish the credibility of their own cases. We'll also see business managers and executives use this method to facilitate discussions and decision-making in the workplace. You know, so often what's done in the workplace is not that engaging, but by bringing this into it, it really draws out from people that deeper capacity that they have and makes the decisions that are made in those places much more useful, much more powerful. It can be particularly useful in brainstorming sessions and in problem-solving meetings and strategic planning sessions. Therapists and counselors can and sometimes do use this method to help their clients explore their thoughts and emotions by asking questions that encourage introspection and self-reflection. Therapists can help clients to gain insight into their own behavior, their patterns of thinking, societal patterns, and how those are impacting them. It can be particularly effective in some of the cognitive behavioral therapy where they seek to identify and challenge negative thought patterns. We certainly can use this in ourselves to uncover a lot of the limitations that we've placed on ourselves and move beyond those. We could go on and on about this, but we believe that from the few examples we've given that you can already see some of the places that you could use this and explore. As we've sort of implied, this method involves a series of questions that gradually build on each other, leading to deeper understanding of whatever topic is being explored. Socrates believed that this method was the best approach to deeper inquiry, as it allows the individuals to really examine their own beliefs and ideas. The method typically begins with a simple question. What is justice? What is virtue? Socrates would then ask follow-up questions to challenge the initial response and to uncover any inconsistencies or contradictions in the person's reasoning. This process of questioning would continue until an individual arrived at a more precise and accurate definition or understanding of whatever it was that they were exploring. Before we give examples of this, just think for a minute how helpful that would be if we make a decision that is going to affect a great deal in our life or even a small area of our life, but there are inconsistencies in our thinking, we're going to end up getting outcomes that we don't want. And that is going to lead to unhappiness. That's going to lead us to go, how did I get here? I thought I was heading in the right direction. 
But because we didn't really take the time to think clearly about things, we're getting mixed results. Not what we want. So let's go a little further with this. If, let's say, somebody was exploring the question of what is justice. Now, these are big concepts. You can use it at any level of what you're engaging in your life. But in this case, we'll just play with what is justice? Socrates might ask, well, what do you mean by justice? This step is important because it ensures that everyone in the discussion is a shared understanding of the topic at hand. Once the original response has been clarified, Socrates would begin to challenge any assumptions or beliefs that underlie that person's answer. For example, if the person said that justice means treating people equally, Socrates might ask, why do you believe that treating people equally is just? And then he would follow that track. And again, we'll give example of that in a moment. He might then seek to identify alternate explanations or definitions for the topic being discussed. For example, if the person said that justice means punishing wrongdoers, Socrates might ask, is punishment the only way to achieve justice? Or are there better ways? Are there other ways? And explore that in some depth so that things have really been thought through. If a person at some point said that justice means treating people equally, but also seemed to believe that some people deserve more than others, Socrates might point out this inconsistency and ask the person to explain it. Through this kind of a process of questioning and exploring, he aimed to help the person arrive at a more precise and more accurate understanding of the topic being discussed. So as this goes on, the person comes to a much deeper understanding of their own beliefs and their own assumptions, and now they're going to have much more of a robust and solid and well-supported foundation than their initial response. So imagine you're sitting there in the room with Socrates, this very sincere, very focused, obviously very bright individual, and he brings up the question with whoever he is interacting with, and this was often done in a group. So be very comfortable imagining like you're sitting in the room. And Socrates says to the person he's interacting with, what do you believe the nature of reality to be? And the person might say, I believe that reality is made up of physical objects and natural laws that govern their behavior. And Socrates might respond, how do you know that your view of reality is accurate? And the person says, well, it seems to be supported by the scientific method and the evidence we've gathered through observation and experimentation. And Socrates might ask, are there any other possible explanations for the nature of reality that might be equally valid? And the person, of course, might respond, I suppose there are other views, maybe such as idealism or skepticism, but I find them less convincing than a materialistic point of view. Socrates would say, maybe, can you explain what idealism and skepticism are and why you find them less convincing? And of course, the person responds, 
Idealism is the view that reality is fundamentally mental or spiritual in nature rather than physical. Skepticism, on the other hand, is the view that we can never be certain of anything, including the existence of an objective reality. I find both of these views to be unconvincing because they seem to contradict our everyday experience of the world. And Socrates responds to the person, Can you explain how our everyday experience of the world supports a materialistic view of reality? And the person might say, Well, we can see and touch physical objects. We can observe their behavior. We can see their interactions with other things. This seems to be a more direct and reliable way of understanding reality rather than relying on subjective experiences or abstract concepts. And then Socrates could respond, how would you respond to someone that argues that our senses can be deceiving and that what we perceive as physical objects are actually just mental constructs or illusions? And the person might say, well, I would argue that while our senses might not be perfect, they're the best tool we have for understanding what's really going on. And even if physical objects are ultimately just mental constructs, they still have a real existence and follow natural laws that we can observe and study. And again, Socrates might respond, is it possible that our understanding of reality is limited by our human perspective? There may be aspects of reality that we cannot comprehend and observe. The person responds, yes, it's certainly possible that there are aspects of reality that we, we can't see, that we can't understand. And Socrates might say, how do you think we can distinguish between what is objectively real and what is simply a product of our subjective experience and our subjective interpretation? And the person might say, I think we can use reason and scientific method to test our hypothesis and verify our observations. We can seek out multiple perspectives and strive to eliminate our biases and assumptions that might distort our view of reality. And Socrates again would say, well, do you think there is a way to access objective truth, or is reality always going to be subjective to interpretation and perspective? And the person might say, I think reality is always going to be subject to interpretation and perspective but I also believe there are real and objective facts and principles that can be discovered. And on it goes. And you can see right there, we're sort of digging into and, and developing a much more clear approach to understanding our own perceptions and our own biases. And that can be incredibly powerful for setting us up, in this case, to understand reality as we think about it and to sort of free us from the the box of understanding that we originally had so that, again, our thinking becomes much clearer and we can understand the very basis for what we believe and what we perceive. So give yourself a pat on the back for staying with this this long, but it is really important. And way too often, this is not 
really taught or considered as we're being educated. The very basis of our societal norms and approaches came out of this kind of approach to developing clearer thinking. And again, as we've said, and we will say again and again, when we have clear thinking, we much more readily get to the outcomes that we want. And that, in turn, tends to lead to happiness, or at least some degree of happiness. If we hit the target that we're aiming for, we tend to be happier. So that's a bit of an overview of one method that has been used extensively to develop clear, critical thinking that sets us up for success. Now let's explore some of the other things that we started covering in our last podcast on critical thinking and clear thinking. Thank you for listening. Our purpose is supporting your capacity to learn and to attain all that you can imagine. We hope you use the perspectives and exercises that we have shared. Feel free to send us questions, ideas, experiences that might benefit our listeners via learntolearn.org, L-E-A-R-N-T-O-L-E-A-R-N.org. Finally, please help others by sharing our link with your friends, family, and other loved ones, since how you learn is how you live.